Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the fine folks at Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia, from which all of these panels were recorded at Metatopia 2017. It's also thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 179, Fiction and Game Writing. Presented by Elsa S. Henry and Lauren Roy. This is fiction and game writing, which is uh, basically check out what the two different skill sets are and how you can use them interchangeably and also how sometimes you look at them and you go, I don't have one of those, how do I hire someone else? Um, So uh, we are both fiction writers and game writers who uh, do this professionally. And uh, I know, I know, isn't that frightening? There's this thing called imposter syndrome. I'm just like, can I dive under this tape? I don't belong here. See, this is why I'm doing the initial introduction first, because she can't run away. Um, Oh, it's so sneaky. It's fun. So uh, we're basically going to talk to you about stuff, but because it's such a small panel, I think we're going to kind of go on a question and answer somewhat format, because at this point there's four of you, and you can kind of ask us what you actually want to know versus what we think you want to know. That's fair. So I'm Elsa Shunison Henry. I am a partially deaf-blind writer and uh, game designer and disability advocate. I am the managing editor for Fireside Fiction Company. I have several short stories out, and I'm also the guest editor in chief of nonfiction for Disabled People Destroy for Uncanny Magazine. Jesus Christ, that's a long title. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Michael and Lynn. Um, and I've worked on games like Wraith 20th Anniversary Edition, uh, Dracula Dossier, which won an Emmy and my own game, Dead Scare. Sweet. Say nice things about yourself. Okay, I'll try. So (laughs) hi, I'm Lauren Roy. I am the writer of the Night Owls Urban Fantasy series. Uh, I have written some YA, I've written some short stories. I am a graduate of, as is Elsa, Viable Paradise. Oh, right, that. (laughs) Which is a science fiction and fantasy writer's workshop. I'm also staff at VP. uh, And on the game side, I have written for Onyx Path, including some of the Chronicles of Darkness, so Mage 2nd Edition, uh, Changeling the Lost 2nd Edition, Scion. I have a folder in my thing called Exalted. What? Because college me is like, you're doing what? Um, and Pellegrine Press and some various other RPGs. So um, I guess we should talk a little bit about what these two different skill sets look like, mm-hmm. um, which I would say some of the similarities are things like world building, which you have to do in both sorts of writing, Mm -hmm. but I would say that they diverge a little bit in terms of how you use them. Mm -hmm. So for world building for fiction, you literally build an entire universe on your own, out of your head, Mm -hmm. by yourself. (laughs) Yeah, and with RPGs, a lot of it is collaborative, um, or sometimes if you're hired to write, the core of the system is already kind of in place. The developers or the, you know, the original alpha creative team know most of the rules and you're kind of writing to those. Um, I think one of the things with world building that's interesting in those two things is you sort of have to know everything about the world, even in your fiction, your own personal fiction. 
Except you don't put all of that on the page no. in your, you know, own intellectual property stuff. But in a game world, your players want and need that kind of minutia. And so things that you would just never put in because it's not moving the plot forward or it's not mm -hmm. doing anything. You, you know kind of how the, the clockwork works in the background, but you don't need it in the story you need in a yeah. game. Here, here's a really good example of that. I'm going to torture you for a second. Oh, okay. um, so in World of Darkness, we know all of the inner workings of vampire clans, and we know how they work, and we know what they do, and how they feed, and what they need from their feedings, and all sorts of things. And in the Night Owls series, <laughs> what do we know, Lauren? <laughs> Whatever I feel like telling you. Pretty much. Sometimes that's just enough to uh, set the scene. Yeah, like it's literally enough so that you understand the main character, mm -hmm. but not TMI. Yeah. Okay. Well, except one. Yes. <laughs> I mean, well, no. I mean, yeah, I think in it's... this context, it's too much information is literally thwapping your reader over the head. Exactly. If I start going into 100 years, 200, 300, whatever of vampire politics, nobody cares. Just uh -huh. so that you can get to this one bookseller. Right. <laughs> yes. But. To, in, in the game, you, you need to kind of lay that out as here's where it started, and here's what's happened since, and here are the kind of movers and shakers. Um, in, in fiction, you discover that as you go, and in game writing, it's kind of, you need it up front. And I think the reason why that is, is because ultimately what you're doing in a novel or in a short story is you are telling a complete story. Mm -hmm. You are going from beginning to end, and you are not skipping anything in the middle. So you, your readers are getting a story outside from a world. Yep. Whereas when you're writing for an RPG audience, your players are actually telling the story. Yep. You're just giving them the tools to tell it. Yep. I wrote a note that says story arcs versus story hooks versus plot arcs. Do it. <laughs> that's that's my, the entirety of my note. <laughs> so in 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 game fiction, you're kind of throwing out all of these things that your your GMs and your players might use or might chase down, or you know that you you might be like laying out threads that nobody will ever pick up. But it's there if they need it. Like if you've got a GM, it's like oh you know, I I've, I've done all of these things and I want to give my players something cool, but I have no idea what to do next. They can kind of flip through the book and find just like one paragraph where you mention this, you know, obscure character that you give just kind of a hint of, of what they're about. And then maybe you never come back to it in the game. And you don't have to because the GM can then take it and run with it and make up whatever they want about that character. Whereas if you throw out a random obscure name in fiction, your readers are going to be like, so I'm going to mark this down on page three. And if it's not back on page 238, I'm going to be mad. Or more specifically, your editor will be like, <laughs> also, this Peter, this is my editorial cool. letter, and my first note is, who the hell is this guy? Mm -hmm. I just reviewed a book, which I will not name because it's not a terribly positive review from my end, except where it's published. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but basically, they drop this hint that this guy's father has died, and this is his inheritance, on page 15. And literally, we do not loop back to the inheritance in the box mm -hmm. until the last three pages. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, listen. <laughs> I get that this is a horror novel, and I get that you're trying to stretch this twist out for as long as humanly possible, but this is a little much. Mm -hmm. So when you're writing fiction, you have to kind of satisfy the reader on a certain level, yep. whereas the reader technically satisfies themselves mm -hmm. in... RPGs. Yeah. And even, you, oh, go ahead. Even in LARP, I think to a certain extent, depending on the LARPs you're working with, 
there is a lot of player satisfaction that happens that uh, LARP runner doesn't necessarily control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's another thing is that you're in, in fiction writing, you're one person writing for a bunch of characters and you have to satisfy the reader. Ultimately, you have to get it to an ending of, your, of yours, one ending that pulls all of those threads together in one specific way. So it feels like it was inevitable all along. And you know, from the start of the book to the end, in between, the characters can kind of loop out and cross paths and go back to each other. In a game, you have many people controlling many characters and their plot arcs all have to feel important and complete and relevant to the plot, which you should be everyone doing in needs fiction, a but you need everyone to have that. Yeah, you're, there are no secondary characters no. in your in your gaming group. And so not only are you kind of casting out all of those threads and it's the GM, it's your job to bring them back together at the end of the game, but they can also, you know, the, the threads can go squiggling off here and maybe never come back, maybe, you know. If you want the most snarky fiction writer version of what RPGs look like from a writing perspective, mm -hmm. all of the players are writers <laughs> and the GM is an editor wrangling all of the writers. <laughs> It's, it's fair. It's like an anthology, but worse. <laughs> but you also kind of, that's that's the thing that makes kind of GM brain different than writer brain. Mm -hmm. And this is this is maybe you know, like I mean you also have to plan for this as one of the game writers too is because oh. you're you're there to help the GM as much as you're there to help the players obviously. And I'm always thinking when I'm when I'm writing a game, what are my where are my players going to go completely off the rails when I don't expect it because they're gonna. And we're like, here are the three things you're going to do. And they're gonna, they'll be like, I'm going to go do this thing over here because you dropped that random name and now I want to go find it. And I try to think about that in my fiction too of, you know, where can I take this story that maybe the reader won't expect? So is this kind of lining up with what you were all looking for at this point? Should we pause for questions yeah. for a minute and then we'll hop back onto the dialogue consciousness track. that is, yeah. Any questions? I yes. You're, you're talking more about RPGs and, and LARPs and stuff. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about um, the narrative in like a board game or mm. a card game? How important do you think, um, which to me would be more fiction writing, because you're trying to tell a story and you're kind of introducing the game mm -hmm. as part of that story. Mm -hmm. Can you speak of that? I, I think for me it's important. I am a person who likes to have when I play a board game, I want the story of it, right? I mean, you you can you can play a game, a board game that doesn't that has you know here you're you're trying to get points, you're you're not trying to. I want to know what the goal is, I want to accomplish, mm -hmm. and I I will. I can't remember there was a game I was playing earlier today, and I was just like, oh, this is really cool, and I could feel like a character arc, and I might have been the only one at the table, kind of getting into the character I was playing, um, but you you kind of feel that like. So I'm like, like, like Betrayal at House on, on the Hill. That, that was like, the exact example I was going to use. There are people who play Betrayal at House on the Hill like a board game. Right. And they're like, I put down the piece and I walk through the house and there's no role-playing element to it. But when I play Betrayal, <laughs> we really need to play Betrayal yes. together. Um, <laughs> is then the follow-up. Um, the last time I played Betrayal at my house, there were voices. <laughs> and we were fully narrating what was happening to our characters, mm -hmm. which included my character, because I was playing the tiny little girl, screaming as she fell into the basement, help me, thunk. 
I think I played her last time, and she was, wasn't it like a haunted TV or something? But I, I don't know. It was like, it was in this room, and it's like, don't turn this thing on. And of course, I'm like, okay, click. And, and, and yeah, haunted for, I don't know what card I drew, but I was I just haunted for the game. rest of the, of the game. And so, yeah, it was like every room I went into, it's like me and my pals from the haunted TV, we're going in here, and we're going to see what other buttons we can push. So, but I think that that's a very specific kind of board game. Yeah. Like, there are board games for which narrative is really important. But I, again, I think it falls sort of on the line of RPG because ultimately, even if you're trying to tell a story, your players are going to be the ones acting it out. So you're telling a general story. I'm just looking for, you know, do you think it builds interest in, which you answered that, in, in the storyline? Because a lot of, I, I agree, a lot of them, here's your game, go ahead and play, and mm -hmm. you're like, well, I, I want to be something in mm -hmm. this. I, want, I, I, I really want to be invested in it. And, I think yeah. there is an audience for that, 100%, yeah. because clearly she and I are like, give it to me now. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is my catnip. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yes, there are there are definitely things like that, and I would say that the diceless games that are currently going around, like Monseigneur, um, those feel more like board games in a lot. They feel like a weird combination of board game, tabletop, and LARP, yeah. in that everybody is sitting down at the table, and there are cards that you are playing, but there are no dice, and it's mostly just you doing scenes. So I, I really like that trend, because I like that it's very much, here are all of your pieces in one box. Right. Also, I don't have to look at dice anymore, which makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? Yes? also sort of hitting on something that I wanted to mention, which is scope. Mm -hmm. um, in fiction, you have short stories, which my new favorite piece of short fiction advice, which I learned at Viable Paradise, <laughs> is that a short story is the end of a novel. It's not the beginning of a novel. Mm -hmm. Because everything has happened before it, and now you're sort of wrapping it up at the end. Max Gladstone taught me this, and I will never forget it. Um, and he's right, because a short story is just this tiny little punch. A novella is longer, but it's also small. You need to fit an enormous emotional impact into a fairly short piece. Whereas in a novel or a series, you can do all of the world building that you ever want, mm -hmm. and you can sort of have as many characters and as many perspectives as you want. And I think in games, it's sort of similar. Yeah. Different kinds of games have different scopes. Yeah. 
And I think board game is probably on the shorter end of that scope mm -hmm. because you can only do so much in tiny, tiny cards. Yeah. And I think the, the thing that kind of, the gist of it is you're giving the characters stakes or the players stakes. Um, and it, it's, what, what's the, the method they call it? Is it save the cat? Mm -hmm. So, you know, your, your very first page, or it, it's a filmmaking thing, and I, I, I'm terrible and I haven't read the book, but I've seen the principles, which is in the first however many introductory pages of script, you give the character something they have to do. And you get the audience rooting for them to do the thing. And so in this case, it's, you know, get your players to want to do whatever the end goal is, whether it's saving the cat or, you know, finding the treasure. Um, gives them that personal investment. And if they're going to bring story into it, you've either, either given them an avenue to, to build off of or they're going to do it naturally, but they have that thing that they want to do. And you can do it with negative things, too. Yeah. Um, has everybody here seen John Wick? Yes. Okay, so some of you have because I saw a couple no's. Um, this isn't really a spoiler, mm -hmm. but, like, so again, Viable Paradise because all of these things are stuck in my brain right now. Mm -hmm. Max was talking about, like, stakes. And the most relatable stake that he could think of was when he watched John Wick and he has to get revenge for someone killing his dog. And, like, literally everybody I know who hears that opening goes, yep, those assholes. Yeah. And now you're invested. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's the thing with board game, like, short things. You have to have an instant buy-in. Yeah. Whether it's, we're going to go explore a haunted house, something horrible is going to happen to us. Yeah. Or, um... I'm trying to think of another good like narrative board game, and I can't really think of any. Yeah, we're gonna think of a bunch of them at like three in the morning and text <laughs> each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, the multiverse. Oh, yeah. Settles yeah. the multiverse. Yeah. Every card has a word. Yes. Yes. It's like a character quote or... Yeah, some quote or some action or some reference. Okay. Um, and it really gets the, the heart of the characters. And sometimes it'll even, you can kind of figure out who the character's nemeses are in the game just by, by reading that. It's in its flavor text and its art. And it's, it's the cool stuff that makes your game complete. Um, but, you know, it, it's world building yeah. in a very subtle way, mm -hmm. a very sneaky way that I really like. So I feel like we've covered sort of scope and we've covered world building and we've covered how world building is different from RPGs to fiction. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we can also get a little bit... Okay, wait, I'm, you have tons no, of notes. That's okay, go ahead. Go, no, no. go where you're going. You do I don't know what I your was thing. Because, okay, I guess I'll keep talking. Um, so <laughs> basically, there's also a technical aspect here. Yeah. Um, when you're writing fiction, you're working off of certain... Damn it, I'm losing words today. That's okay. I, I have a note that might relate to what you're yes. talking about. Let's see. So I, I have, uh, you know, do, do you think that, game, so, you know, a lot of, of games, you've got the mechanics and you've got the setting, and they, they play together. Yeah, um, this is where I was going. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you feel like the fictional setting, does that map more to the game mechanics or the setting chapter, or is it both? Like, is, is one thing doing two jobs, or is it kind of 
And that depends on your system. Yes. Yeah. Um, because in Powered by the Apocalypse games, your setting is inherent to your system. Yes. Every single playbook that you write has to be within world. Everything has to be within setting. Mm -hmm. Whereas in, say, Dungeons and Dragons, the math, I feel, is sort of separate from the setting. Right. And I think what I, what I was kind of musing on is in a lot, so your, your game mechanics are going to tell you, especially in, in more numbers-based mechanic systems, mm -hmm. are going to tell you, you know, how strong your character is, how fast they can run, are they good at manipulating people, um, do they know medicine, and that's, can compare to kind of like, okay. <laughs> I just flashed back to the world of darkness character sheets yeah. with just the massive list of things that you could know. <laughs> this is the game I started with. So. I know, me too. <laughs> um, but it's it's one of those things. It's in some ways, I've seen people, especially during, because it's National Novel Writing Month, um, in their nano prep, they're basically filling out character sheets for their characters because it gives them an idea of what their characters are, are going to be like, that they're you're going to be spending the next however many hundred thousand words with. Um, so it... The mechanic setting in a game kind of gives you the, the limits, your mm -hmm. character's limitations, um, or the rules. Like if I, if I, you know, I, I'm a vampire, I can't go out in the daylight unless I have a special rule. But that's. But in your fiction, sometimes you you have those rules in place. You might not tell the audience, and your characters probably at some point are going to break them. And. In, in you have to know why as the author and you have to be able to explain why you don't have to explain it on the page but you have to be able to in your head explain or if somebody comes up to you and is like how'd they do that you'd be able to articulate it not just because it seemed cool like, so there is only one time in which it is acceptable to not have an answer mm -hmm. and that is what happened to me at the nebulas this year okay um somebody had read a short story of mine that is about disability and time travel and they mm -hmm. came up to me and they said so how does the time machine work <laughs> and you and don't have to know. No. no. Then, then you can literally look at them and go, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly mm. stuff. I don't know science. Please leave me alone. <laughs> but that's another thing, too, right, is your, is your genre is going to kind of drive the, the questions that you have to answer yeah. in your text. And so if you have, you know, a, a hard SF novel, I, I, I'm a Kim Stanley Robinson fan, and so I read Aurora, and it's all of this neat, crunchy stuff about whether or not humanity can travel to another mm -hmm. galaxy and or another another star and inhabit and it's very whereas depressing. like if you're reading say mm, connie willis mm -hmm. the science is sort of less important than the history is right so your world building actually is more about one piece of the world building than it is the other. Although I know she actually has reasons for how she thinks the time travel work. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing that she's got kind of yeah. ready to go. And in a game, your game genre is going to matter whether you have to explain how the time travel works or whether, you know, if you've got kind of like a, a pulpy sort of game, you can just have a, a freeze gun, a freeze ray. And you don't have to explain how the freeze ray works. But if you have a very sciencey techie game, you might have to explain how the freeze ray works. If you're, short version, if you're running a Joss Whedon game, <laughs> you have to explain nothing. Yeah. If you're running a hardcore uh, Savage Worlds campaign, mm -hmm. you may actually have to explain to people how they're dying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and some of that'll come down to your, your characters, I mean, yeah. not your characters, your players. Um, are they going to demand that of you as a GM? And that's the, the game writer's job to kind yeah. of anticipate the questions that 
the GM is going to get from their players. And knowing your audience is something that you need from both of these. Mm -hmm. You need to know what your audience expects of you as a writer and a game designer, yep. no matter what. But I guess the difference is with writing, you're often building your own audience, mm -hmm. whereas games come with audiences. Yes. So if Lauren and I are working for Onyx Path or for uh, Evil Hat or somebody else, they already have a fan base. Mm -hmm. They already have people who are expecting something out of those games. Yeah. So if you're coming at this being, I'm a fiction writer who wants to write games, that's one of the big differences. Yes, yeah. And that's actually one of the other cool things is that it's a very collaborative sort of thing um, where you've got other other writers on the project with you and not I mean not always there are some games that are mm -hmm. one single writer but a lot of times you have you have the developer who you can be like you know I don't really understand how this works or I'm not really sure what you want me to do with this and you actually it's kind of a relief to me sometimes to not have to know all of the answers myself and to be able to go to somebody else and be like what the hell is this like, could you just explain this to me like I'm five? And and that the cool thing is that they will because that's you know it's a thing that you're all excited about to work on. And so you're you're working with the developers, you're working with the other writers who will sometimes say, hey, I thought about this cool thing, and then a bunch of people you know respond to emails or, or in a chat room together, kind of kicking ideas off of each other until you work the thing out mm -hmm. to I be something really cool. I will say, if you were a game developer who is in this room right now and you are not using Slack mm. to get your writers in a room together, I think that it's really valuable yes. because it's a tool that helps everybody essentially be in the same room, even if you're on completely different parts of the continent mm -hmm. or world. Um, and I, I think it's really changing how a lot of game writers get to do business. It's also changing how fiction writers get to do business, but most of us are just using it to not write. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's weird. Some of my slacks are very much a business slack, and some of them are like, look at these cat pictures. <laughs> some of my slacks are just, look at how cute we are. We should probably keep writing. <laughs> um, what do you think about the difference between because you, you had mentioned at one point editing for games oh, or yeah. setting for fiction. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely a me question. Mm -hmm. um, so I edit for both. Um, I'm the developer on Fade Accessibility Toolkit, and I am the managing editor of Fireside. And there's a huge difference between the two. Uh, the biggest one that I can think of is that game writing editing often feels more like writing cats. Mm -hmm. Um, because imagine that. you have a lot of people doing very disparate things at once and your job is to put them all together and make it look like everyone wrote at the same time from the same perspective mm -hmm. and there are no voice changes. And that's, that was one of my, my sub-questions was how do you handle getting everybody to the same voice? Because I have the writer's perspective uh -huh. on that, but I'd love to know the editor's perspective So a lot of it is about setting tone at the beginning. Mm -hmm. You need to know what the tone of the book is before you ever start anybody writing. So if you're writing a large chunk of the book, you need to write that first, and then that goes to every single writer that you've hired so that they can get a sense of it. Because ultimately, that's what they're working off of. You mm -hmm. need a book, but you need a book Bible. Yes. And I mean, writers, fiction writers get book Bibles, but they make them themselves. Yeah. And I would say that's the big difference. Like when you work on an anthology with a bunch of writers at the same time, they're all writing in their own voices and it's around a cohesive theme usually, but as long as they're all written to theme, it's fine. Mm -hmm. 
you get a bunch of game writers who didn't write in the same voice, and you're going to spend the next year trying to make sure that everything fits together. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you how many rewrites I've had to ask for. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the things that I always try to be conscious of when I'm writing for a game is, what's the tone of this game? Um, what what is what is that style like? Is it a conversational? You know, are you are you talking to the people reading the book? Like you're sitting down over coffee and being like, let me tell you about my game. It's pretty awesome. And are, is it a very casual style? Is it, is it scholarly? Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to like, you know, if there's a source book that's in that setting that I can read and take a look at, I, I'll do that to try to get that tone. And I always kind of have to go back and check myself a little bit. I had to read so many Wraith books mm-hmm. to get the right tone for Wraith because it's really, um, it's technical. Mm-hmm. But it's spooky technical. Yeah. And it took me several drafts before I locked into it. So, yeah, a lot of reading, but Mm -hmm. also a lot of asking questions of the developer about, like, what do you want from me? Mm -hmm. And part of that for me, too, is I'm... I self-edit a lot as I go along, mm-hmm. um, which can be bad for a fiction writer sometimes <laughs> because you just don't stop tinkering and then it's never done. Um, but sometimes when you're writing for a game, it's uh, it's okay to, I don't want to say it's okay to leave everything for, for red lines because you don't want to make your poor developer have to do a whole ton of work and hate you forever. But there are some things where I, I'll you know put a little note in saying, not quite sure this works, uh, you know, let me know and we can come back to it. and. It's sort of nice having that next step. So, you know, I can say there's, when I'm writing fiction, sometimes I'll say, this is just a draft, it can be messy, and I'll leave notes from my past self to my future self. Once upon a time, it was, I don't know, you figure it out. I, I <laughs> when I came back to that page, I was like, where's my time machine so I can go back and throttle myself? Many of us refer to this as the bracket draft. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I have a bracket draft right now in which one of them just says, in the country of, in brackets, motherfucker. <laughs> I don't have the title yet. <laughs> Fix this. I, I accidentally left a bracket note to myself in one of my, my role-playing drafts, and it was something like, big monster, lots of hands, throws things really far. <laughs> I, got my, I, didn't re- I didn't catch it when I did my like reread before I turned it in, and I got a note back from the developer, like, I don't know where you're going with this. Sounds like maybe it was cool, but I don't know what this is. I'm just like, oh, I, whoops. I will tell you about the story that I'm getting published in the place that has the name mm-hmm. with the unicorns. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we sent a draft for that with um, literally just a bracket that said, we don't know how the deaf lady got here. <laughs> <laughs> and we just got an email back with, Elsa. <laughs> I'm, I'm co-writing a short story for the Special Dinosaurs and the, uh, issue for Uncanny next year, and we're currently working on the draft. It's basically just like back and forth with two writers, which means there's a lot of brackets. Mm-hmm. And then the editor was like, can we see it? And we're like, um, sure. And that's how brackets became a problem. <laughs> But again, like this is something that's worth knowing. There are fiction writers who work together and collaborate. Mm-hmm. It does happen. Uh, we do play with well with others. Yeah. Most of the time. Sure. <laughs> um, Any other questions? Yeah. Yes. yes. I'd like to find out what you 
Okay. Um, yeah. You're here, which is a great start. Mm-hmm. Um, Metatopia is definitely the place to be for networking with game developers. Uh, you seem like you might have a follow-up. Well, I was just going to say people don't walk around with a job offer on their back saying, I'm looking for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I think I, I'm terrible at networking, so let me start with a different <laughs> answer. <laughs> um, there are a lot of uh, companies that will do open calls for submissions, um, and sometimes it's knowing what, are there games that you like to play? Let me start there. Let me back up and start there. I don't play RPGs. Okay. I don't play RPGs. Okay. I develop working hard games, and I write short stories. Okay. Okay. So I'm very interested in the writing end of all of that. Okay. Um, I would really love to get into being right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, oh, that's very loud. Mm-hmm. I turned up my hearing aid so I could hear you. Let me fix that. Um, so uh, the other thing is watch out for just people posting about it. Like, mm-hmm. are you on Twitter? No. Get on or Twitter. Facebook? Mm-hmm. Get on Twitter because um, most people aren't face- posting things on Facebook, uh, but there are a lot of game developers who are posting things on Twitter and they will talk about it. And if you just start interacting with people like a human, put on your human suit and go talk to people because, I mean, we're all lizard men on the inside, but it, it really does just being a person in the industry helps a lot. Um, I got work because I was friendly with someone. And they were like, hey, are you interested in working on this project? Mm-hmm. And my reaction was to cling to Rich Dansky and say, yes, please hire me on Wraith. Thank you. <laughs> I, I have a sort of like two, two different ways that I got into the industry. One of, one of them, which doesn't help very much, is that I have, I have a friend who, if he has two friends who like the same thing, he wants them to be friends. And so he, he introduced me to, to Wilhelm March, who was like, hey, send me a thing, because I'm developing a thing. And so I did, and that's one way that, which doesn't help. Um, but right, the, like these are not helpful that's answers. That's not a helpful answer. But, but the other one was that there was a, uh, a Twitter thread, and this is, this is part of, I think, why it's important to, even if you're not spending like an hour a day or 10 minutes a day tweeting, it's good to at least have that feed scrolling by, you, you know. Um, there was a Twitter thread a couple of years ago, um, somebody was asking, I don't remember who asked the original question, but it was a guy, and he asked why there aren't more women in the tabletop role-playing game industry. And we all hopped on that. And a bunch <laughs> of people hopped on that. And that's, that's I believe it was I yep, and I believe it was Philomena Young who yeah. started the hashtag one reason why. Yep. And because she had been at like a doctor's appointment for her kid. And a lot of the conversation had gone by in that time. She gets home and finds this relevant question to her. Um, and, and she, she started saying, here are all the things that, that women are up against that make it harder for us to be in the industry sometimes. Um, and I mean, it took off. Yeah. And, um, and you and I participated, and Lily Cohen Moore participated, and a whole bunch of other people did. Yeah. I think mine was something like, because being low vision makes it difficult for me to read spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. And so much of games are about systems that are in tiny font in a book. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of developers responded with, I can work with you on that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that came from it is Philomena's husband is also a game developer, as is Philomena, let me stress that too. Um, But he put out a call saying, if there are women who are interested in writing, I don't care what your experience level is, 
send me an email. And it was really a cool thing to do, and I think a lot of other developers, you know, kind of got that wake-up call of, holy shit, you know? And so I had answered the call, and it was it was a while down the road where he responded back. He was like, hey, I have some, some word count. Are you interested? I, um, I will also say be really brazen in pursuing it. Mm -hmm. Like, sitting back and waiting for someone to ask you does nothing. Yeah. Um, I made a mistake of pitching a game on a street corner at Gen Con three years ago, and now that's a game that's going to be coming out next year. <laughs> I was standing on a street corner next to Rob Donahue, Fred Hicks, and uh, one other person, Aja George, and they were talking about how they wanted more diverse writers, and they'd done a diverse writers call, and they hadn't really gotten a lot of response. And I kind of inadvertently said, well, you know, it's tricky because you don't know if they're sincere, and at least for me as a disabled person, I'm always nervous that you'll see disability and not count it or something. And they kind of look at me and they're like, oh, we hadn't thought of that. And then I say, I've always wanted to do something like a, a handbook to systems for disability. And Rob looks at me and goes, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> and now it's a book. <laughs> so sometimes just be really honest and upfront with people around you about what you want to do. Because sometimes those people actually have the power to hire you. Mm -hmm. um, I know you're making the face like, I don't want to do that right now. <laughs> oh, you were? I can't, I can't see very far, so you were making a face, and I couldn't tell if it was a smile or an, oh, no. No, I was smiling. Okay, good. <laughs> no, but I, I think one of the other things, too, is if you... There, there are places that will do open calls, and that's that's another thing. Sometimes developers will, will put, just put it on Twitter, but a lot of times it's on, on the game company's website. So if there's a, a genre that you think you would like to write in, and there are games that are in that genre, I would say take a look at their, at their websites, at their forums, and see when there's an open call. I believe Onyx Path has an open call at the moment. I haven't looked at their website. Um, it was up a couple of weeks ago. If it's not there now, I think they're opening it up again soon. soon. And they'll say, you know, I'm, we're looking for things for, for these specific games. And usually they'll have some guidelines about what, what they want you to do. Um, for, for Onyx Path, I think it was like, send 500 words of mechanics and 500 words of yeah. fiction or flavor set in this particular game system. The thing that can be tough about that is if you're not familiar with the game system. Um, and system is hard. System is hard. Like, you know, I, I will be perfectly honest with you. System is one of the reasons why I do a lot of in like getting hired in-house stuff because I'm very upfront with developers. I do not do system. I do world building. I do character development. I do all of the pretty little things that make your game look super creepy. I didn't say that out loud. <laughs> um, but you know, I don't. I I will do system if you are willing to handhold me through that process mm -hmm. because not everybody is good at it. Which is sort of what I wanted to close on because yeah. we talked about this a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, these are two different skill sets. Yes. We are talking about them like they are one skill set, but they are They're two. totally different parts of your brain sometimes. And if you feel like you don't have the skills for one or the other of them, that is okay. Mm -hmm. You are allowed to be bad at system and good at fiction. You are allowed to be good at fiction and bad at system. <laughs> you are allowed to be good at both. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, like, if you're in the situation where you're developing a game, hire people if you don't feel like you have the skills to do it. Mm -hmm. 
And I think the, the thing I would bounce off, uh, bounce off of, jump off of, with you know not being good at system is, I was very much when I started out like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I can do mechanics. I, I'm, I'm kind of scared of mechanics because I, I think of myself as, as the world building writer. And I got pulled into doing mechanics on a thing. Somebody was like, you, I need this. Come do it. And I was like, I'm not going to say no, but I might screw this up. Mm -hmm. And I didn't screw it up. And I actually you know, had the support system there with the other writers and with the developers that if I didn't know what I was doing, I could send an email and be like, so what do you think of this? Is this even in the ballpark of what you're looking for? Because there's that, it, it's basically don't self-reject. You know, if you, if you think you want to give something a try, God, go for it. Like, don't don't say, oh, I can't do this. And I know that's a lot hard. That's a lot easier for me to say than for people to just do. But I've been forcing you to not do that this weekend. I've yeah. been doing this thing to her all weekend, where I go, "Have you met my friend Lauren?" <laughs> <laughs> and then I walk away. <laughs> so, um, any other questions? Yeah. Yes. Um, there are a lot of resources for getting better at. Mm -hmm. there, uh, there's a ton of material out there. Mechanics, I feel, is harder to improve on uh, because it's not necessarily like if you want to be a better writer, you read more, you write more, you do these exercises to sort of expand your uh, your repertoire. Mm -hmm. But with mechanics, if you don't know if the math works or if the math gives you a certain feel, mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot tougher to get better at that before it starts. Not just do it more because you could just be Right. So is there a resource that you know of where you can get better at mechanics or you can test mechanics? Off the top of my head, I don't know one. I don't either. I, I, I mean, like, because the one answer I can think of is, you know, the same as with fiction, which is read more systems. Mm -hmm. But that's not entirely what you're asking. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think one of the <laughs> things that you could do is if you're looking at playing with mechanics in a specific system is to go to that systems forums if they exist mm -hmm. and post there because there are, there are so many helpful people that are just looking to like take it apart and see how it works. There and are people who will be very excited to tell you about how everything can be broken down. And show you their <laughs> spreadsheets. <laughs> but I mean that's the cool thing though, right? Is if, you, if you're like, oh, you know, I don't really like this mechanic in my game. And you change it as a, as a house rule, and you know you're if you have a, a gaming group that you can you can test some stuff out with and see how they break it, or if you're you know see see how they're going to try to exploit it. Um, but you you get that feeling for okay, well this doesn't work. I think there are places where you can see like you know probabilities with dice. Um, I don't know if that would be at all helpful, but you know, with the likelihood of rolling, you know, on a D10, rolling above a seven, how many handfuls of dice you need to get X amount of successes? With me, it's several handfuls because dice hate me, um, so I'm the outlier. But you know, it's it's. I think there's probably some mathematical theory stuff out there just on the pure rolling dice. Um, actually, I did think of a resource. Mm -hmm. uh, check out any resources from game design master's programs. Mm -hmm. There's usually some stuff on their websites about what they teach and how, and you can probably dig up from just what they list as their courses. What was that any game design school. Oh. Like, look, look at the syllabi for programs. Ask if you can see some. Because ultimately yeah. what you'll get from that is what they're teaching people 
for how to design games, mm -hmm. which might help you track down some of the theory behind game design. Yeah. I'm not saying go and get a master's in game design. I'm saying... But you can find out what the textbooks are that people who are going for the master's yep. read. <laughs> Smart. Steal things from them. I mean, borrow their <laughs> books <laughs> and return them. <laughs> Your library. Yay, libraries. Um, yeah, no, that's, it's a really good question. I don't... I, there have to be resources out there that I I'm actually going to ask Jess Hammer mm. because she teaches in a game design program and she'll probably have ideas. Yeah. Um, so I will tweet about that. Uh, and we have hmm, about 15 minutes. Well, probably like 10. 10. Yeah. So I have to get to another panel. Yeah. To go to the So any other questions? No? Okay. Just looking to you see if there's anything else anything. you wanted to tackle. Uh, how about research methods? Is there any change in the way you research things for a game versus for your game? Bless you. Mm. I'm not allergic to research. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm a historian. <laughs> um, yes, mm -hmm. but also I'm a research junkie. Mm -hmm. um, I am that person who... Jack Russell's do this thing where they go down a foxhole and you have to haul them out by the tail. And that's me with research. So my problem is not doing too much. My problem is not doing enough research, it's doing too much research. Mm -hmm. um, which is usually my problem with game design. Because in writing a novel, you can do basically as much writing as uh, research as you want. And you know, at some point you have to stop, but the pile of books can just keep growing next to your desk and I'm not talking about myself no. at all. Um, whereas in game design, there's a certain amount of research you have to do before you have to start writing the damn thing. Mm -hmm. And some of that is purely like how the system runs. Yeah. Because there is system knowledge that you need in order to that you need to research in order to get a game running. Yeah. And that's going to tie into your world building. Whereas in a novel, you can kind of go, oh, I need to look this thing up. Yeah. What about you? I, I think it's, it's the same. I, I have, you know, I've definitely gone down the Wikipedia rabbit hole for both things and dragged myself out like six hours later like I did not know how they needed to grow this obscure crop in southern Pennsylvania. Like, how did I even get here? I'm not going to look at my browsing history because then I'll start it all over again. Um, but it's, it's, I think I'm probably the thing that changes the way I research mm -hmm. is whether or not I'm on a deadline. Yes. Because it sort of gives me how far I can go into depth. Or what is the specific thing that I'm researching mm -hmm. this for? Like how deeply do I want to narrow down? I'll give you an example. Um, I spent literally three days down the rabbit hole of New York City riots mm. for the book I'm working on. Three days of me just going, hmm, I wonder what these civil unrest things were like. Whereas when I worked on Wraith, uh, one part of the chapter I did was on rewriting some of the medium stuff. And I was like, oh, I should go look up candle magic. Because if I'm going to be rewriting tarot for a wider audience, candle magic seems like the way to go. Except this means I'm on a deadline. I only have like an hour and a half for this. And it's really only going to be like a paragraph. Mm -hmm. So you also have to kind of recognize that what you're writing for a game is sometimes super tiny, even if you have to do research for it. Yeah. 
And, and you have to slot in, slot in the time both for the research and the word count. Cost-benefit analysis. Yes, yeah. Let's talk about math. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that covers research. Yeah. Um, I guess another thing I would say about sort of the two different skill sets is that while they are both writing skill sets, the actual process often differs a lot because you're not necessarily telling a narrative story in games. Often you're doing like chunks of information spread out across a section. Yeah. And so that will change your writing process. I actually have a hard time game writing on the same day that I'm working on fiction. Because mm -hmm. they're two different processes entirely for me. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, it, it comes back to that you're, you're throwing out story hooks versus you're making a cohesive plot arc. And it's also, you know, sometimes you're just trying to give the feel for something mm -hmm. in a game. And you don't have to, you, you have this one mechanic that you're explaining and you're trying to not only put it in terms of, okay, well, here's an example of how this might come up in a game, but also you want to show it in that world in some way and how it feels in that world and how it might manifest. Um, it's almost like a, a sort of a vignette to a yeah. point, and it's a, but in one or two sentences. Yeah. Because that's that's another thing about um, sometimes game writing. You need to be really lean, and you need to get your point across in as few words as you possibly can. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, Five. <laughs> um, you know, your your developer doesn't want you saying the same thing three different ways because it's a waste of word count. It's something that could be used elsewhere to to convey something else. But you have to get you have to get the point and the feeling across. Yep. So I guess our sort of wrap up is mm -hmm. hire good editors who know how to work with the kind of editing you need. Mm -hmm. Hire writers that know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Use the right structure for the kind of game that you want. Understand what kind of world building you need, mm -hmm. and submit. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, they're, they're, they can definitely play off of each other, um, where you know, I've used game writing tactics to move my fiction along mm -hmm. when I'm stuck. Um, I have sometimes had to stop as I'm game writing thinking, well, I'm, I'm looking at this on one level, what if I looked at this from the other character's perspective? Which is a thing I'll do in my fiction mm -hmm. a lot, because you want your, you know, your villain has a life of their own, and they're the hero of their own story. Um, if your if your uh, if your villain is not doing something behind the scenes, yeah, what's happening? Exactly. And so, kind of working on that and looking at that from the fiction perspective of, well, how does this character feel about this thing that's going on over here? Um, can kind of help, kind of jog some some of that stuff loose. Yeah, and, and also, um, you know, like I said, submit your work. Mm -hmm. Like, don't. Don't self-reject, but also like find your skill sets. Because if you're in this room right now, and there's really only five of you, but, it, but all five of you get to do the thing that you like to do, and you get to write. Mm -hmm. So can I quote Elizabeth Baird yes. now? Dare to suck. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we got. Thank you all.